Yeah, look, I'm I'm a little bit the same. I'm having what I'm calling damp July. Um... <laughs> I can't wait to join you for moist Movember. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, look, I love that intro music, and I don't care if you don't. Uh, with over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt has been bringing you the world's best local and imported malts. They are your premium brewing partner, and they are very proud supporters of this. And this is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me, as he always does, it's Matt Kierkegaard. G'day, Matt. Good morning, Pete. But uh, you've got me worried out of the box. Have people been complaining about our uh, podcast music? Yeah, yeah we, we, we've had, you know, some negative feedback. Maybe it's because they're listening to it at one and a half times on the podcast. And speaking of, we really should – I think this this episode names itself. This is the Inception, I think, is the name of this one. Because this is like a – this week has been like a podcast within a podcast within a podcast <laughs> as a okay. podcast. And so, yeah, for those who don't know, we recorded a podcast. We were then guests for the first time ever, the pair of us, uh, guests on uh, the Beer Healer podcast. Then there was – I guess it was probably the week before, but we had – you know, we mentioned the Steal This Beer podcast, and then in the you know the the circle of life, they mentioned that we mentioned the circle them. of life. Is that what you're calling and it? And then, yeah, and then just to finish <laughs> it off, I saw you uh, cheekily posted a picture of you attending the live performance of the podcast left last podcast on the left, yes. which I was supremely <laughs> jealous about. And I know initially you and I were both hoping to go to uh, WA Beer Week. And to go and watch last podcast on the left live, um, but I had uh, Gabs Auckland. But you thought, well, no. Rather than you know upset Pete, and you know I'll, I'll take a bullet for the team. I won't watch it either. I'll just go on my own. No, no, I didn't go on my own. I went with my daughter. Um, oh, okay. so because uh, you and uh, my daughter uh, Emmy are both uh, huge fans of last podcast on the left. You introduced me to it, and it's something I get to uh, share with both of you. So uh, yeah, so I made a point of flying back uh, <laughs> with the, the dodgy flight um, from Perth to be back in time to uh, go to see. It with her on the weekend. Oh, okay. Because ah, because I thought. Okay, I assume. No, I didn't go in, in Perth. No, in no, WA. No, no, yeah, I no. no did the Perth no, show I, while you're over there. No, no, I went to the Brisbane show. There you go. Yeah, uh, and look for the, for those who haven't listened to it, I can highly recommend it. If you love stuff you should know, it's kind of like stuff you should know, but with lots of swearing, lots of swearing, <laughs> and some really really gross content. It, 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 it's it's <laughs> if you like true crime, these guys talk about serial killers and paranormal activities and those sorts of things, but in a very very entertaining way. But it's definitely uh, not suitable not suitable for children. <laughs> Lucky him, he's now uh, over eighteen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, hey, it's not like you don't know what you're going to expect. Exactly. When, you know, um, when, you get, when you go in there. But anyway, but it was good. It was um, back to the, the podcast. It was very nice um, of Chris, uh, the beer healer, to invite us on his podcast. We've just never been invited onto any podcasts. Oh, I've been invited onto a couple, but uh, one I was overseas, uh, and I don't, one he just hasn't followed up. Okay, but it was it was nice. So yeah, he, he obviously wants a bit of our magic, you know, to boost his ratings. That's it. No, not at all. Because I tell you what, if, if that's if that's what he's figured, you know what? This is the last throw of the dice. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was good. It was it was a it was it was a nice chat, and yeah. So hopefully, uh, anyone that's listened to it um, knows a little bit more about you and I and our background and how we came to be doing this thing. That's it. Listen, we've got a little bit of news to get through, and I think this week we might have a couple of uh, stories that are worth a little bit of a deep dive and to dissect a little bit, because it's fair to say that there is a little bit happening in beer this week. We'll start off with um, Bintani, and Bintani uh, launched their 2019 uh, vintage signature malt. This is, um, I, look, I love the program, and uh, full disclosure, through my work with The Post Project with Al Robbie, uh, we've provided some uh, video content for Bintani slash Joe White. That beautiful video that features him. That, yeah. the, congratulations on that. Like They were great interviews with Montendale and uh, just that beautiful content that really captured the sense of place for, for, for the Bali. Yeah, and it's look, it's, um, I, I love the concept of it. And I, I learned so much about malt. I learned so much about the brewing process. I learned the, a lot about the difference between the big brewers and the, the smaller and independent brewers. Uh, really fascinating that, that um, 
you can using modern technology you can basically identify okay this is the you know the the best and the most uh homogenous is the wrong word but uh you know like i don't what's the word matt stable um similar the, the, the basically the literally the, the pick of the crop consistent mm. Uh, and this year it turned out to be, because uh, it was, a, as Dale said, a really terrible year generally for malt growers in Australia. But in Tassie, uh, some farms around around the, about halfway mark between Launceston and Ross. Yeah, Ross. Yep. Uh, some absolutely perfect, you know, like just, oh, hang on, this is the, this is the really good stuff. Um, they were able to then bump and malt that at the Joe White maltings in Devonport uh, to create basically a, Look, it's Joe White's way of, of saying, to, in a way, look, we haven't actually looked after our smaller customers. We've, we've been very focused on the big guys. We've neglected you guys You've, you, in the past. Yep, you haven't got the best service. You haven't got the best product. We're trying to redress that. That might and, be overstating it a little bit. It's just that, you know, like one of the things that comes out of, of the chat that I had is that, you know, when you speak to Justin Fox, um, this, who was who brewed for Swan and you know, brewed for small brewers and now works for, for Bintani selling malt. And I, I, listeners, I know how um, egregiously uh, promoting the, the, the sponsor this sounds, and, it, and it's just not, you know, one of the, ultimately we do need to keep the website going and, you know, keep the um, wolves at the door um, and advertising does that. But our approach is always to try and tell a story that you're interested in and a story that is true, um, even while we, while we do that. So that's what we're doing here. But... Um, when you speak to Justin, you know, the big brewers have the ability that when there is seasonal variations in malt, when there's, um, you know, creep um, between it, they can see the specs, they have records of what that means for their beer, and then they can tailor it as they go. Um, like tweak tweak the recipe if you they can yeah, yeah if your eggs can, are eggs are a bit bigger or if your sugar's a bit sweeter you you tweak your recipe yep and and when you're buying huge volumes of anything you get the the, the pick of it and you get it tailored to to, to your needs and this is a way of um, Joe White and Bintani creating a product that has addresses some of the issues that craft brewers face um, by having malt that's a or barley that's a consistent size which means that it goes through the roller easily um and that we but we, we spoke off mic how you know not even thinking that you know a, a variable size to your to your malt um can really affect the brew house efficiency have a listen have a listen to the podcast because if nothing else matt um mont stewart uh whose background is is in farming as well so he's a, he's a man of the land um he he's just he's so uncorporate it was just we ended up with, I think, you know, there might be a total of forty seconds of 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 Mont speaking mm. that we we were able to edit into the um, the promotional video for the for the Joe White signature malt. But the twenty minutes or so afterwards was worth hours uh, compared to uh, some other people I've spoken to. Like, he, I just you just wanted to learn more. And, and, and that's uh, pretty much what the podcast was. It was an hour of conversation that we, you know, again, because people don't necessarily want to sit through um, too much, it was edited down to a really nice half hour talking about the challenges of growing malt. And one of the, actually, the other thing I didn't realise is that, you know, on one hand, there is so much extra work in getting barley um, to the spec for malting, but the price differential just doesn't justify um growers doing that when when the world feed barley price is so high um because of demand and the the because beer is a bit more of a commodity the extra effort to grow barley to malting specification just doesn't make it worthwhile for um so many barley growers and that affects the quality of the barley that brewers are getting and that affects the, the the quality of our beer and so it was a you know look Go listen to it. I think that's uh, you know commercial over. Um, it wasn't meant to be a commercial, but it was just uh, it, 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 as you can probably tell from Pete and I, we learned so much from it, and hopefully uh, you, you can as well. Yeah, um, I'm sure that some of that uh, Joe White signature malt will go into making neepers. Matt, <laughs> personally, I won't be drinking them. Um, and, and didn't this story set the world on the, the social media on fire? Neeper's quest for juicy has led us toward increasingly undrinkable beer, and <laughs> hop burn is the culprit. So this was uh, uh, James, I think it's pronounced Varel. 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 Um, his fiance was drinking a, a hazy DDH DIPA. Don't we love our acronym? Or is, <laughs> it, is, or is that just the cool kids? <laughs> so a double dry hopped, double uh, India pale ale. 
this is like burning my throat to drink. I'm not finishing this, was the quote. Uh, how did we let IPA go so far in this direction? The geeks are chasing beers, claiming to be juicy, that are literally corrosive to the palate in texture. <laughs> it ain't pleasant. <laughs> and, and look, it, I love so much about this story um, because like, it, 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 there, there is no um, existential truth um, in, in, in any of this stuff, but it's a great thing to add to the discussion because at the moment, brewers are pushing boundaries. Um, you know, the... The um, juicy IPA didn't exist what five years ago. In, in, in that we know, it's creating a lot of excitement. It's driving a lot of beer sales. Brewers are doing it, and that can only be good for the industry. But then, you know, everyone tries to outdo everyone else, and there's a bit of an arms race. And you know, at the moment, brewers are trying to find where the edges of the style are. You know, where it doesn't be, where where it's not fun anymore, where it's not clever anymore, where it's not enjoyable anymore. Um, the, the the unfortunate thing is because it's been jumped in so enthusiastically that it can almost spring back to the point that um, you know I, I recall that Chardonnay, for example, you couldn't sell wine white wine that wasn't Chardonnay, you know, in the early two thousands, and everyone got into it. Everyone was making it, um, you know, everyone was oaking the bejesus out of it. Um, and so all of these flavours that don't exist in the Chardonnay grape suddenly came to be associated, you know, like spice and smoke and, um, you know, vanilla, which aren't apparently characteristics of the Chardonnay grape. They're a um, they're, um, winemaker-added characteristics through oaking and it came to be a caricature of itself. And so suddenly it became so ridiculous that... No one, you couldn't put Chardonnay on a bottle and have that bottle sell. Um, and Riesling probably suffered the same sort of fate. Um, it came to be seen as sickly sweet. Um, and so Riesling, no matter how elegant, no matter how beautiful, um, couldn't sell. Um, as brewers chased the market, they uh, sorry, as winemakers chased the market, and we're seeing that to, to some extent with a whole range of, of beer styles. And it's both awesome um, in, in that brewers are experimenting, they're finding new markets, they're creating excitement. It, it's also great that they're finding where the edges are, that you know, when you go over, you fall off. But ultimately, it can also you know, have real blowback where it harms a style or it harms a category where people just go, you know, craft beer is just this. Um, and, and, and that's a shame. And that's where, I guess, brewing becomes a business. At some point, you know, the, you, you gear yourself up for the next big trend and for some by the time they get it right that the trend's moved on um and i look at and we've discussed this a number of times before so i won't you know hammer it with a stick too hard but one of the big problems that a lot of the brewers i speak to is that you know we we see this new concept we see this new idea whether it be ddh or neeper or hazy whatever and then we go okay so the idea is to get this but we don't do several iterations of the of the process um and at, at, when i was over in uh, adelaide had a really good chat with uh, frank and corinna from prancing pony and they gave me a sneak uh, i can say that now because it's uh, the embargo's lifted but <laughs> I, I was i was sworn to secrecy uh of their gabs beer tell me what you know what you think and i'm going wow is that there's there's like overripe fruit it's 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 in the fruit bowl i can smell and there's orange oil you put some oh is it blood orange is it grapefruit is it and she goes it's single hop single malt but it was the sixth or seventh iteration of that beer each time they change just one thing and that's i guess you know that they have very much a science background and they sort of said to me they lament the fact that brewers see you know some brewers will see a trend uh, and they see the end product, but they, because the the punter wants that drink now, they don't have the chance to kind of finesse it or try it again or go, hang on, no, I don't think that's the intention of the style or you know whatever it might be. So we end up with this thing where we're we're chasing the end result, but we're we're cutting out a lot of the steps needed to to get there. If that and, makes sense. Yeah, and yeah, exactly, and, and that's on. One level, the benefit of being small and dynamic, and you know the, the advantage that small breweries have got, they can, you know. Well, you've got to be patient as well, Matt. Well, you do. Well, but if, if the market's not patient, Prof, um, there's a lot of pressure on you know, the, and, and, and that's the thing. And but are, are we are we creating that though? Well, we're not. we we as, as, as brewers. <laughs> uh, well, no, I, 
we're trying to douse, we're trying to douse the flames it's a little a sim- bit, aren't we? Yeah. We're keeping the fire going, but we're not, you know. It, it's a symbiotic relationship between the consumer and the and, and the brewers. So you know, on one hand, you've got brewers demanding some uh, consumers demanding something, you know, brewers jumping on it, and then there's you know the arms race of brewers trying to outdo each other to have the most or the biggest or the cloudiest or the the, 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 the whatever. And we saw it with bitterness, you know. 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I've got a 1,000 IBU beer, um, you know, which is just ridiculous. But at the same time, it generated hype and you know, attention and you know, brands were built on that sort of stuff. So that, 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 that's just the nature of it. And I, I, you know. and I think too, Ben, it also has the side effect, the unintended, the unintended consequence of uh, us bringing, us, uh, real, bringing us to the realisation that it's actually okay to have something that's sessionable, something that's quaffable, something that's uh, a little bit lower in alcohol, a little bit, uh, you know, rounded edges. Uh, so we, we end up creating like a subset of, of the, the big, bold flavoured beers and we end up with the three and a half, four point two percent 4.2%, you know, lifted hop aroma, nice, easy drinking, you know, session ale. Yeah, and look, the, the better brewers um, are the ones who are going to be doing it better and more consistently, um, and you know they're probably not always the first to the party um, for for that reason. But you know, look, it, it, as I said, you know, there's no ultimate truth to any of this because I'd much rather an industry where you know even some bad and some very good juicy IPAs exist than a world where only lager exists with different labels on. Yeah, which leads us nicely into our next story because, Matt, if you were wanting to buy um, that very hard-to-find Nipah, you'd have to go into uh, a retail store or you could perhaps buy it online, but you certainly wouldn't think of uh, picking it up through rate beer. But uh, AB InBev uh, have launched the rate beer marketplace, so um, an e-commerce platform um, that's part of the online reviewing site rate beer, uh, following in the footsteps of its US and its UK operations Starting off in Australia, we will have Dan Murphy's Beer Cartel and Purvis uh, are the first suppliers to be included on the platform, uh, which was recently acquired by AB InBev Investment Vehicle ZX Ventures. It's a, there's it's it's like a babushka doll, isn't it? <laughs> what what are we supposed to call it? Is is AB InBev like the that's still the that's like, the business? That's yep. the biggest of the babushkas, isn't it? And then you open that up, and it's got. Well, Z- no, according ZX to them, Ventures. ZX Ventures is, is different. ZX Ventures is their, what is it? It's their, um, you know, responsive, incubator, dynamic, buzzword machine. <laughs> but anyway, it's part of AB InBev. Yeah. Well, it, it's, so, it's 100% owned by AB InBev, so, but it's just... It, yeah. So you'll basically be able to go online... So if you, how is what's the intention of that? Because I'm, I'm not a cool kid who... So if, if you go and rate a beer... Um, you know, or you know, a lot of people um, who use the site, you know, if they want to find out a, a, about a beer, they go to Rate Beer and they sort of, you know, search and then read the reviews. What this then does is, it says buy online. You click, click on it, okay, and then it will tell you it's available at Dan Murphy's for this price. It's available at Booze Bud. Uh, oh, sorry, it's not available at Booze Bud yet. Um, it's but available hang on. at uh, yeah. Isn't Booze Bud? We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> We'll get to that, Pete. Um, Wouldn't that be the first one you'd include? Well, that would be. What do they think of that? People might. Well, no, but then people might say, oh, it's "Are we just being? A, are we being cynical, Matt?" Yes, I think we are. No, well, no, we're not. Um, but we are being cynical, but deservedly. Um, so, and then you you can sort of see where it's available, and you can click on it, and you can buy it from um, Beer Cartel or Purvis or Dan Murphy's, um, and then they take a clip. So, Rate Beer takes a clip. Um, so it's a monetization thing um, as well. But yes, it was interesting that Boozebud, which is also owned by ZX Ventures, wasn't one of the ones that's included. But no doubt it will be because there's no point in not. Um, and when you read the article, overseas, the overseas online bottle shops that have been bought by ZX Ventures are included in in, in, in the same sort of thing. So, you know, profits... I was reading a thing this week that something like 1.7% of all alcohol transactions now take place online, um, which yeah. uh, is, is only going to grow. And when you look at all of the things like Jimmy Brings and um, you know the, the online bottle shops, it is increasingly going to be something that uh, people move to. Um, as we said last week when we were talking about fair, just because a business model changes from what a big brewery's 
existing model is. doesn't mean they go, well, that was fun while it lasted. Let's go off and do something else. They're going to adapt and, 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 and modify. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it, it's, it, it'll just be very interesting to see how the online marketplace does develop. Yeah, and which leads us even more nicely and neatly into our next story, which is uh, just announced that Woolies, uh, Woolworths, are set to – so it's a, a merger – Slash a merger that's going to lead into a demerger. So okay, so yes, yeah, Endeavor so Drinks. Well, so Woolies is the business. Woolies Group yeah, Limited. Woolworths Group Limited. And yeah. part of that group was Endeavor Drinks, which was separate from ALH Group. And ALH Group um, was Dan Murphy's and Wool. You know, so it owned the hotels um, that the Australian Liquor and Hospital Holdings. Um, but then it also had Dan Murphy's and BWS, many of which are attached. Or part of, you know, so the, the old drive-through bottle shop that used to be a Thirsty Camel or a, you know, whatever, uh, becomes uh, a Dan Murphy's. Or, a, yeah. And it's attached to the Burvale Hotel or whatever it might yes. be. Yep. 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 Which is ALH owned. Exactly. And, and in Queensland, you can't have a bottle shop without having a hotel. So ALH and Coles have both bought up a, a significant number of hotels. I've got to admit, when this dropped yesterday, um, apart, we just put the media release up because, you know, this is an example of where things are taking place so far out of um, the, the the beer space that I, I, I didn't know how to, to cover the story apart from just sort of saying, well, here's, here's what is actually happening from the words of um, the, the, the company that's doing it. Um, and so what they've done, they've merged the uh, Endeavour Drinks Group um, which really was just the business um, that serviced, you know, it, it provides expertise and research and buying because there's also it's Pinnacle basically the drinks. Buying, yeah, the buying group. Then, yeah, then there's well, Pinnacle Drinks is I think like the, the importers. The yeah. So yeah, I never completely got my head around exactly how it how it all worked um, because we always know Uncle Dan's and. Um, uh, BWS. Um, we know and did hear it. Did hear a big number, Matt. Um, I'm going to say it's something like twenty billion dollars in revenue annually mm. is what is what goes through Dan Murphy's tills. That's just Dan Murphy's. Yeah. Well, if if you listen to I, the podcast uh, with John Hudemaker and uh, Aaron Heary that I recorded and dropped this week, talking about um, Gage Roads, they talk about just how big. The that empire is um, because you know they were obviously had a, had had involvement with them uh, with the share ownership, so it, it it is massive. So splitting it off is it your understanding? Because all I've heard like through the financial papers and um, interviews and that sort of thing in mainstream media, there's there has been a bit of backlash that uh, and particularly last week I think there were some fairly hefty fines handed out to a couple of. Um, Venues, pokey venues. So it's it's the um, they've been under scrutiny for the last the couple ALH of years. And the, and, and the and the pokies, and so are they trying to sort of okay, well, let's offload it into a separate business and try to kind of keep the image clean. And there's, and there's nothing to say that um, it, it could be um, like a share issue. Uh, it could be uh, somebody uh, one buyer comes in and buys this this new. Um, and, and that's why I stood back, Prof, because the, the media release just talked about the mechanics. It didn't, and I really wanted to see... Um, Woolies, Woolies could, could kill, still could, you know, buy a controlling share. Well, we'll, we'll that, that's the thing. It, it, Woolies owns it, so you'd imagine, yes. So all, all they say is that it's a demerger or other value accretive alternative. That's kind of like um, consumer value, face, <laughs> value, value accretive. accretive. Alternative, so yeah. it's a VEA, a VEA. So yeah, well, but essentially <laughs> that means that Woolworth shareholders are going to make money out of it, um, or it'll sort of increase the value of the business. And you know, that's that's where I wanted to really stand back and see what the finance journalists talk about, because this, this is more of a finance story than a, a beer story, even though it has massive implications for the beer industry. But it's, it's interesting if the motivation is at least in part. Because of Woolies' fears of uh, having the the Dan Murphy's brand tarnished by the ALH and Pokies 
association. Well, I think it's the Woolies brand being tarnished by the ALH and the Denver because yeah, they're well, seen. I was li- listening products. to the CEO yesterday, and he was talking about we're not a, we're not a supermarket product. We are a, we're a food business, yep. and th- and this is our uh, a drinks business and uh, an entertainment business. So it's interesting. <laughs> not a gambling the, business. The, the, no, exactly. They're very the, careful the, saying that. The corporate speak, yeah, but it, but it is interesting if that's their their corporate philosophy that they look at it as you know actually we're you know, because Woolies obviously increasingly. Um, getting revenue from online, from delivery, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, you know, the, the click and collect, there's a separate area now. I noticed I was in Uncle Dan's just yesterday. And, uh, you know, the, the, it, three people while I was there just came in and, and, you know, had ordered online and boom, here it is ready to pick up, off you go kind of thing. So yep. it's interesting the way they look at themselves and then how that sort of um, – Relates to you know us as consumers and our listeners as as uh, as beer consumers. But you look at uh, I, I think this is about Woolies not wanting reputational damage to their brand because you know they're they're also a huge shopping centre chain and you know if if they start to be seen as being a bit of a black entity, um, you know not the fresh food people, then that's going to harm those businesses. And you know I, I see this as being a way that they can spin off the sin parts of the business gambling alcohol um you know hotels even though they call it entertainment um it's the sin um taxed businesses um from the the main so they're still going to make out like bandits in some some uh some way from it because that's what value oh they're not yeah, they're not, they're not going to do this and lose <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's what value accretive at, seems at to mean <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so so we'll, we'll we'll wait and see. Um, we'll, we'll wait and see what the, the the wash up is. But that seems to be to be the driver. So you don't sort of associate veggies with um, poor, sad drunks with um, you know Sitting gambling in the, slips in their, their last their last twenty bucks yeah. in, in coins. Now, discussion wise, our last story: uh, Brewers give their verdict on excise changes. Uh, this, particularly through the Facebook group, got a lot of. Uh, feedback from our listeners, and it really seems that people are genuinely interested, which is which is really pleasing for me. I don't know about you, Matt, but I I, I love reading the comments and the the questions, particularly when somebody like Ross Kenrick um, sort of popped in and and, and uh, Richard Watkins, Mazen Hajar, that it's not just oh you know like our listeners are um, genuinely engaged and are asking questions of those to sort of because I think there's there is a lot of confusion um, around it. Oh, mate, absolutely. And, and, and that's, you know, look, it, it is one of those things that you just sort of get a, a nice feeling of um, satisfaction uh, around the community that has grown around both Brews News and more recently around the Radio Brews News group is that the level of discussion, you know, we, we have people that are consumers that want to understand more and they post genuine questions um that, that you can completely understand and even if 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 it's based on a false premise or whatever they're genuinely asking it's not just weighing in and going oh this is shit um uh you know they're sort of going look i don't understand this when he says this isn't this a bad thing um and then we also have this community of um the industry willing to give up their time and go in and say well no this is the thing that you, you need to see and it's it's all you know, it, it can get um, not heated, but it can get uh, robust because you do have competing points of view. But it is ultimately looking at having a really genuine, healthy discussion, and uh, you know th- that's on the on the on the Bruce News site, and that's also on the um, Facebook group. So it, it, it's really, really awesome to see. Um, and congratulations to our listeners and all of the people who participate in that, because it really is a, a, a positive thing that you've um, contributed to. But on this one, it's, it's 1st of July, Was there, there were two lots of excise changes. One was the change in the keg uh, limit. So no no keg, no, so no excise It used to be more expensive to put your beer into a smaller in, into, container. Into a smaller container, yep. Um, and at the same time, brewers are now going to be able to claim a higher level of rebate than they used to. Um, you know, so small brewers are getting some of that back. Still a long invest. way off what what the wine guys are still are getting, but it's it's bumped up a little bit. Yeah, although I suspect that wine has been creeping down as well. I think they realised that it was um, a bad for the wine industry um, to have ridiculously high levels of that. It wasn't actually creating more people growing grapes and you know better agriculture or anything like that. It was getting more people making cheap wine 
And so I don't think we'll actually see it ever going up. I think we're going to see the wine um, rebate coming back down. But so there were those two things. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, those are things that elements of the industry have been campaigning for. Um, and um, the, the, the louder voices or the, the voices that we've been hearing most have been those that have been campaigning for certain excise changes. Um, and it always is fascinating to me that you often hear people that have been in it for a while, you know, almost sort of, you know, sitting in the corner going, care for what you wish for, care for what you wish for, care for what you wish mm. for, because once these changes are made, you don't know what the what's going to happen. Um, and did you see a couple of our, uh, a couple of people online posted, uh, you know, front page newspaper things, craft beer prices to drop as of July 1st? Yep. yep. And, and, and it's that kind of, oh, okay, they're dropping the excise, therefore um, these guys are going to be able to sell their beer cheaper. Because that's the way the government sold it. And that's the way elements of the industry have, have seen it as well. And I just don't think it's going to, that's just not going to, happen um but the the thing that was more interesting to me is that when richard made some comments just of talking about barriers to entry or um you know not getting people into the industry he was seen as being anti-competitive when that is just absolutely the wrong take from what he was saying because it was all predicated on we don't want people with the wrong motivations coming into the industry um and whenever there are tax changes, whenever there is an increase in the rebate that you can get or, you know, talk about, um, you know, beer is going to be cheaper if it's in kegs and smaller kegs, then the beer industry is already an incredibly attractive industry because it looks cool. Um, there are, There's so much media talking about craft beer that people think, well, everyone must be drinking it. This must be a boom industry. Um, Easy way to make money. An easy way to make money. I've been thinking about it for a while. This is going to get me in. Um, and, you know, whilst on one level, more breweries in the industry is fantastic for the industry, it's fantastic for consumers, having more half-assed or more unviable businesses enter just because they think that now is the time to get in. Yeah, marketing companies who can get a beer brewed who think they're going to yeah come in make a, a truckload marketing companies but also people that just think oh look you know this is an industry where i can give it a crack and they're under resources they're under skilled um they're under capitalized and they're under thought through um and suddenly they've got a seven hundred thousand dollar investment in 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 a brewery um that they just need to get their beer out and so they start selling cheap kegs and the, the business is fundamentally unviable but it, it, it's it's like anything, you know. It's not always just the invi- unviable businesses that collapse. Just in the you know unviable competitive environment that they create, they can take down businesses that would otherwise be viable, except for the nonsense competition. Mm. And, there, and it's fair to say there are two distinct camps uh, on whether or not excise is is a, a genuine barrier to entry. So on the one hand, there's you know it's a barrier to entry, da 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 da, and it, but the other argument is that it doesn't address, and I had a good chat with Mazen Hadja from Hawker's Beer, who his concern I think is is in certainly in part that it doesn't address the issue of quality beer. So you know somebody who's who's working out of it, look at uh, uh, Madoc. I mean that's that's literally you know it's it's a micro micro. It's it's literally out of the garage. But the beers that I've had certainly, and the the way you've spoken about them. Absolute 100% quality. I've had beers from, you know, the big shiny pots and pans, um, high tech automated, you know, computer control brew house that I've just thought, I just don't, that's not a beer for me. So, you know, uh, and I think it's important that we do address, we need as a, as an industry, we need to get better at making better quality beer. Now, whether better quality means uh, more shelf stable, longer shelf life, uh, or just um, you know less do, um, less you know chance of contagions and infections, and you know bulging cans and all that sort of thing. There's a whole myriad uh, of things that we need to to address. I think before we worry about cowboys coming into the industry. But I I, I see Richard and Brendan's point, but I think I, th- I think we need to maybe even backtrack and say what we need is we need more you know like Federation Uni we need more Edith Cowan we need more Sydney TAFE um, Melbourne Uni uh, agriculture whatever we need we need more uh, technical expertise and training 
to get us up to the standard that I think we deserve to be at. Well, absolutely. I just don't see how that issue is related to the, to the excise issue because they're, they're, they're sort of standalone and no one's campaigning on this. It was just one of those things that the uh, excise came in um, this week and you know people had some observations on it. They're, they're not out there campaigning. On that, um, to Ross Kenrick's point, uh, Ross from, from Bacchus Brewing, uh, the whole does it affect people filling growlers? And I, I don't know that that was yes, ever really yeah, addressed. Claire um, got an answer out of the ATO that we're going to be following up on. Um, oh. And I don't have it in front of me, but my understanding is that, yes, um, if you fill a growler... And it's different if you're bonded, like if you're a yeah, producer or a manufacturer or a reseller. Well, that's the thing. You have to be a manufacturer. You have to have a manufacturer's license. Um, to fill growlers. To, to fill growlers. So unless yeah. you... The, the beer is under if you, ta- if, you, if you basically take beer from one you know, uh, from from a keg of, of whatever size and then you then put it into a growler or another thing for resale, a cannibal, whatever it might be, you've then got to pay the excise on that. Yes. And so, so unless, ultimately the excise is being charged twice. Which I think, yeah, that's, that'll be an interesting one. And, and uh, we, I guess we'll just wait for Claire's uh, story to be published and we can get all well, the well, details. Well, she's posted the comments, that the quote in, in, in those comments. Um, oh, okay. But uh, yeah, but look again. Just back to the to the whole issue of excess. I think a couple of people saw Richard and Brendan as talking about you know, protectionism. Protectionism, or, and, and that's yeah. absolutely not what they were saying. Um, I you know, I think they're just sort of saying, look, you know, careful about what the flow-on effects of this could be, and, and don't let it change the mindset of why you get into the business. Um, the, the the one the only other thing I'll say is that you know like uh, um, the guys from Stone and Wood and Jamie Cook um, I'm pretty sure um, have said in in the past you know it, it, it it's a bit rough when you enter an industry when there's a certain thing and then complain about that industry and they've said that about tap contracts you know if you open a brewery today there are tap contracts. You don't open the brewery and then complain about the fact that there are tap contracts because you knew that going in. And I guess excise is a little bit the same sort of way. You know, well, you've, you've got to you've got to sit that test, don't you, to be before you can get a, a producer's liquor license, and you've got to go through. You know, they, it's basically like you know when you go for your RSA, yep. and you've got to and you've got to sit through all the you know, and here's the fines, and here are the regulations, and here's what you have to do, and here's what you is optional. So yeah, you you go into it knowing. That, that excise is a fair chunk of your uh, your cost of doing business. Yep, yep, exactly. And and again, like it, it does have in, uh, effects on brewers. And we've said in the past that you know brewers don't pay excise um, because they don't. They collect excise. The consumer pays it. Um, but in saying that, you know, the, the government wants its take on the day that it's due. Um, even if the brewer has not going to get paid for the the, the beer for three months oh. yet, um, so yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't think that that's probably a really important point, Matt. That a lot of our listeners perhaps don't realise that as soon as the that slab of cans leaves the brewery, the excise is part of it. That the government has the hand out. Um, it might go off to uh, ABC sellers, and they have an agreement where yeah, we'll pay you at the end of uh, the month, next month, or the quarter. But the yeah, the brewer's got to come up with it. Before the before the consumers paid it and then kind of you know recollect it hopefully exactly. Whew. Hey, so how was WA? Um, oh, actually, yeah, I meant to say that at the start of the show. WA was excellent. Um, really, really exciting. First craft brewers conference held over there. Um, I think they hoping when they first started they were hoping to get maybe fifty attendees. I think they had well over one hundred and fifty, maybe even two hundred. Um, so we, we, which was excellent. Um, the conference was good, um, you know, it's a really good content, some really good discussion panels, um, really good feel over there. Like I, I was literally on the ground. I got in on Thursday afternoon, recorded at Gage, was at the conference, flew out first thing Saturday morning. Um, so it was you know, barely touching, uh, you know. You the, ba- the barely unpacked your suitcase. Barely unpacked my suitcase. Um, really, really exciting. Had some really good beers. Um, beers that you don't normally get over on the east coast um because they're just taking care of their patch and so just looking at the industry over there i really I, i'm more i know that we say every week we, ne- we need to go here we need to go there but we really need to go and do a sweep through the margaret river or just sort of get over to to wa um and and do a, a series like we did on the sunshine coast um because it was 
really, really exciting. There are some great stories that we're just not hearing on the East Coast. Um, so, so that was nice. Um, now, we'll be broadcasting a couple of the chats that we did, just as we have from, from Gabs. And one of the ones was Jane Lewis, who was the head judge of the Perth um, Beer Awards, uh, gave first, the, first female judge of the Australian of the um, oh, first Royal fe- Perth. Oh, okay, first, but she was also the, female the head, head judge. judge. So yeah, um, very, no, very exciting. The first head judge to be a female. I think basically because Foxy had it. I think he had it. He had it sewn up. He must have had photos of someone. <laughs> he, he was the judge there for about twenty years. He was, but you know, Jane Lewis was the, was the head judge, and you know, an awesome uh, judge that she was. But she gave the the opening uh, keynote to the uh, craft brewers conference, and it was. I sit back and just go, wow, that was an amazing talk because it addressed a lot of the the issues in the industry um, about behavior and attitudes and mindset, um, but in a way that was really, really supportive. And I, I, I think it was basically telling everybody, you guys need to wake or you all need to wake up, but did it in a really supportive, constructive way. So I just happened to be recording it um, on my hand recorder um, to take some notes in case she said anything interesting and the whole thing was worth broadcasting. So I'm going to put that out as a special discussion and I caught up with Jane afterwards. And as part of that, um, she mentioned that she was doing Dry July, which is something that we've talked a little bit about. Ah, yeah. So yeah. I thought, oh, that's interesting. You know, when you've got a brewer... Um, dry, uh, dry July, proudly supported by BWS. <laughs> and a shout-out to Michael Thorne from But Fair. not by FAIR because apparently FAIR doesn't support <laughs> Dry July. Um, oh, don't get me started. Uh, but anyway... Um, so I'm just going to drop a quick chat um, that I had with Jane about Dry July because it was something that had a bit of an engagement from our, our listeners over the last couple of weeks. So um, this is Jane Lewis uh, talking about why she's doing Dry July and I think we'll catch up with her at the end of July and just see how, how it went for her. So this is Jane Lewis talking about Dry July. Jane, tell us about your decision to, for the first time ever, do Dry July. Look, I am... Um... I, I actually started to look at it because of health reasons. I have stomach problems and the booze has always been a, a contributor. Um, but I, as soon as I started, kind of, you know, made the decision to do it, I realised how concerned I was about what my life would look like for 31 days without, without any booze. And it really started to scare me which meant that for me that was a thing that I then had to do because it was obviously having some sort of control over me. Scared you in what way? The idea of 31 days without booze scared me and, you know, what would my life be like? I don't know my life without alcohol in it. Um, And then the fact that I was scared scared me because it probably said more about you know, my habits than I had maybe admitted to myself as well. Did you think of, well, I've got to drink on this day because there's this event or I've got to do this tasting or this blind tasting or this judging or anything along those lines as excuses to not do it? I've got a, oh, look, July was a quiet month for me um, anyway, so it was kind of a, and you know what, I, I kind of thought I had to do it at some point in time and I actually so I'd, I'd had recommendation that I should from a naturopath um, and I pushed it back by three weeks because I figured it would be much easier and much more socially acceptable and easy to explain if I did it during the you know more more socially understood socially I'm doing it for charity acceptable kind of time so you know it's much easier to go I'm I'm just doing dry July is that a problem in our industry that we feel that we need to I think as Australians we need to justify why we don't drink at all um, do you think it's a problem in our industry that it is hard to, to take a step back oh look I don't know if it's even the industry I mean it is to an extent but it's definitely a personal thing for me that you know that's it's so connected to my, you know, my personality and who I am. And if I see people, then I'm usually going out for a drink with them. So, um, so it's partially around the industry, but it's just partially also, you know, my way of interacting with with people. So, um, 
Yeah, I think it's, it's sort of tied up in all of that. What are you expecting? <laughs> I don't know. I'm scared. <laughs> um, look, I'm expecting to find the first weekend pretty challenging. I mean, I'm coming off Perth Beer Week where I've been away for a week and, uh, you know, I've been drinking all week and, well, and whatever Barris's else. house. Yeah, <laughs> for lunch with Brendan Harris and... Um, I I must admit right now I'm looking forward to the break. <laughs> um, so I'm expecting to find the weekends challenging um, and I'm sure there will be some temptation. I guess it's just uh, yeah, trying to work through it and trying to just know that it's a good thing and that I, my body is going to thank me for it silly I mean this is a silly question on one level do you drink a lot like do you do you drink every day do you drink uh, for, for a reason or is it just the, the general social but you're very social more social drinking for me um, I'll often have a beer on a Thursday when the bar opens because you know there's a bar next to my office <laughs> <laughs> and of course I tell myself it's because I've got to try whatever new beer is on tap which is, you know, that's a thing um, and I will have some drinks over a Friday or Saturday I wouldn't consider myself a big drinker but it's very habitual and I associate it very much with the weekend and it's the weekend, I mean I have a drink almost regardless of whether or not I want one it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's just it is something that I just do without really thinking too much about so I think just giving that a break will be will be helpful so it's Thursday Friday Saturday, Saturday. yeah you don't drink Monday Tuesday Wednesday not usually not, okay. not unless I've got an event not, not unless okay. I have a specific reason to but usual week for me not I feel bad all of a sudden because I do so <laughs> <laughs> it happens and I and I've been there and I've um uh when I used to work at uh insert brewery name here let's just leave that at that I would have a pint every single day after my shift so we would sit with the people I finished with and I would have a pint and so that was literally there were no alcohol free days it was yeah there was always booze and so I've had different different phases through my life um but yeah well today is June 29 so you've got two days 38th of September, April, June, and so one more day until it kicks off. <laughs> we might uh, touch base with you in 32 days and uh, just to see how you went. But all the best. Um, good luck and we look forward to seeing uh, what happens on the other side. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it too. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to follow up. Yep, absolutely. Because, and, and here's my... Uh, I, I, and it was writ large yet again, where a lot of people promoting that they're doing Dry July and a lot of people coming in and, and just innocent comments, things like, oh, I bet you'll make up for it in August. Um, oh, yep. I bet you can't wait to to make up for all that lost time. You know, it, and it, it's just a, it's that subconscious thing of, okay, if I, if I deny myself something, and we've seen this in um, in lifestyle trends, we've seen it in, in exercise and diet and, and all those, you know, bodybuilding and fun runs and all that sort of stuff where, where people will kind of, you know, go too far one way and then we tend to, you know, it's elastic. We, we tend to bounce back and... Well, we um, reward ourselves for our... Um, haven't I been good? Yeah. You know what? I, now I can um, have my cake and eat two of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just a natural human thing. And I, I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about the, the percentage of people who, you know, will do, uh, you know, a weight loss, exercise, fitness sort of thing. Um, but inevitably, our body will, our natural metabolism and our natural thing will go back to kind of where it was. We, we often don't do anything about it until we go, oh, geez, you know, these pants just really aren't fitting. Uh, and, and below that, there is you know, a, an ideal weight sort of thing. We tend to get below that, but but our body will always want us to kind of get us back to to where it was, which I thought was a really interesting discussion. Um, and I think it's pertinent to to dry July. And I totally support cancer awareness um, funding. Um, but I, I, for me, I, I think it's something you, you do if you want to do. And I get that people have to post it on Facebook because they want people to, to donate so they can raise more money. Um, I just... I don't know. I, I sometimes think just, you know, take what, you know, what you spent on beer this week and donate that as well. Yeah. And yeah, look, I'm, I'm a little bit the same. I'm having what I'm calling damp July. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
I can't wait to join you for Moist Movember. <laughs> I did, yeah, deliberately didn't use that because a lot of people don't like that word. But uh, so damp July. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying not to drink when there's not a reason to. So not, not just, I'm, I'm trying not to habitually drink um, this month. You know, come home, crack a beer, um, have a beer when I'm cooking, then have a beer when I'm sort of uh, doing the washing up. Um, and, you know, I, I do a lot of corporate and then events and then tasting. shower beers. And... No, no. Uh, anyway. Hey, mate, I, I actually found, um, I, I own the URL, showerbeer.com.au. Oh, hashtag not a thing. <laughs> Did, I'm taking it. You don't want me to assign it to you. No, stop drinking okay. beer in the shower. Anyway, uh, let, let's keep keep it moving. So I, are you happy for um, – that, that, that's pretty much we've, we've covered off uh, the news of the week, which is the whole point of doing this thing. But we've got – we welcome a new advertiser. If you want to unleash something, go for it. <laughs> yes, we welcome uh, Unleashed Software. Now, this is very much something that all of our brewery listeners will be interested in learning about. And as I said, we only work with people who uh, we – want to work with um and so even though it's not officially started yet i thought i'd welcome them and tease it for our uh, listeners because multinational brewing powerhouses uh rely on elaborate software systems prof to monitor their production inventory sales and the raw materials that they need to produce their famous product they have complete and detailed insight into their entire supply chain small brewers don't up until now um, because small brewers now can have access to comprehensive enterprise resource planning systems to allow them to run their workflows much, much better. And, you know, it, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around exactly what all of that means. But, yes, yeah, so they're a specialty, uh, specialised inventory management software, and it's available to small brewers, so you can get the same advantages in your workflow management and the efficiencies that that brings that uh, larger brewers do. And that makes sense too, because we're always talking about how many more employees. So, for example, things like payroll and that sort of stuff must be a pain for the big brewers, but you know, for the uh, for the small brewers. Whereas, you know, the big brewer, it's just like oh, uh, one person in that department, one person in that. Whereas, you know, there's forty for every one of those. Yeah. So anyway, um, we welcome Unleashed to helping to make this podcast possible for you guys. Um, and I, yeah. More than anything, I look forward to learning a little bit more about the services and how they can help and telling the story of how they can help our small brewery listeners. Done. And it's a good opportunity, too, to thank Beer Cartel, who sponsor our Letter of the Week, all our letter writers. And it's, it is important, uh, as we were saying, that uh, not just that you, you know, we don't want sunshine blowing up our skirt, but it's more about getting other people uh, a, a vehicle for finding what we do. So if you guys enjoy it, you listen to it fairly regularly, um, you know what that feeling's like when you sort of, you know, it pops up in your in your inbox as a, there's a new episode. Oh, good, you know, time to catch up because I haven't had a chance to read all the, the beer websites. Um, it's about sharing that with uh, with other people like yourselves. So that's why we like the, the reviews. Uh, it's not about the number of stars and all that sort of thing because at the end of the day, we're singing to the choir. But and, and, the, and we'd rather hear the bigger that the we choir gets, better, not the, things, the better the song. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. But on that, Prof, I will also say that today, as we record the Australian Craft Beer Survey um, that Beer Cartel um, is famous for, goes live. Um, and so, in the show notes, there will be a oh. link. Um, it's that time of the year already. It is, yeah. So, uh, so, so that goes live. So, make sure listeners, um, you know, our army of uh, hundreds of listeners, um, and it's over a thousand actually. Um, that you go and click the link and go fill out the software so we all have a better understanding of the Australian craft beer market. So don't forget to review us on iTunes or you can send us an email and you will be in the draw for the letter of the week and every letter writer will also get a Brews News Bar Blade. Um, Steve Levin on the on our Facebook page group um, had an interesting one on labelling, Matt. Yes, um, in Canada, he saw a particular label. It was interesting the way uh, of including brewing on and best before dates. And he said it was a solid beer. Um, and it was just a little section where they have a batch number and a um, package date, um, which was 29th of April 19 on that one and a, and a back. Um, so, yeah, it's just a, like it obviously runs through the, the, the labeling machine and... Um, gets marked there of course it doesn't have the use by date or the best before date which is mandatory particularly if you're going to be ranged in the uh the the, the bigger breweries yeah and interesting too that he pointed out that it's uh, just on the left hand side of that so it's the the batch number and the package date are printed over uh it says store cold drink fresh which is yeah. great uh but next to that is a freshness scale which i couldn't quite 
It looks like months, so zero two four six. So I, oh, I gather okay. that was saying that it's kind so of like have, a best before your, date. Have a look at your package date, and then make sure that this is it fits in this freshness scale. Yeah, this okay, will be cool. as best. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that was a really clever idea. Um, so a, a really nice visual way of doing it. Um, yep. The, the the thing that really stood out for me though is that it's uh, it's called Lug Tread Lagered Ale, made with local spring water, organic <laughs> barley and wheat malts, organic hops. And brewer's yeast, certified organic by ProDev. Um, so, yeah, so every beer needs to tell a story. That's it. And Speaking of telling, telling stories, story well. uh, thank you to David Watson, too, from the, uh, the Facebook page, which uh, back on the 30th of June, so last week. Uh, throwback to Pete's request for men's women's bathroom signage from a few months ago. And I don't know. <laughs> Where he where he saw or whether you know whether he actually saw it in a, a brewery toilet or whatever, but uh, yeah, the door on the right hand side has got printed on it. Blah 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 blah. I think you read left to right. So the so the men's toilet says blah. Yeah, I was going to setting it up. Blah blah blah. And then the well, is that the men's toilet? Well, see that. Can I be honest, Prof? I like I had a bit of a laugh at them. I thought, yeah, look, I get what they're saying there. You know, sort of men just sort of speak directly women just sort of talk and talk and talk which was what i saw it but you get in trouble for saying those things that you well so the other thing too is that like you wouldn't have a single that both toilet both toilet doors both toilets would be women because you got to go in pairs whereas blokes don't Uh, you're gonna get letters letters to pete mitchell (laughs) bring it bring it on no but all right, uh, so back to and it's now uh, talking about excise on kegs. And this is from Tim Wills. Uh, the different size kegs has never had a material effect on the quality of beer in kegs or uh, in the US or the European market. This will allow draft beer into many markets that until this time were just not available due to the size of commercial refrigeration. A kegerator is now capable of having three taps and will also open the market for the sale of multi-keg fridges. So that's an interesting take. I hadn't kind of considered that. Yeah, well, that, that that sort of came out from our chat with um, Andrew and Lincoln uh, as part of the Kegstar and Kegstar and Keg, Keg services. services. Yeah, uh, looking at because and that's when they sort of said the incremental growth. Um, I, I I think you know just in terms of handling as heavy as they are, um, if you can wash and handle one fifty liter keg as opposed to three twenty liter kegs. Um, there is a saving, and so there will just be a like a, a gravity towards those. But then again, um, it, it, it provides a whole lot of niche areas where brewers can can get into um, either the, the keg rater market or um, so many bars have very very limited space and also limited turnover. So maybe they want to have six 20 liter um, kegs rather than two 50 liter kegs that they're going through a week. Um, Without having to have six, um, you know, so six yeah. kegs yeah. is that requires what forty centimeters by six, so one point two square meters. Yeah, but and also, I mean, yeah, the one thing that we we have mentioned in the past, but haven't brought up in this particular episode, is just the less pressure on your hammer and tack of your, you know, your your bar staff not having to move, you know, sixty kilos odd, or fifty fifty three kilos, whatever. Um, now being able to, I guess, more easily lift and store and move. Um, there is a, a labour component in it because, like you say, you know, you, you are going to be changing your kegs perhaps more frequently. But I think if the market will sort itself out, um, yeah. venues will say, actually, no, this one, I'm going to buy this in 50s because we're, we're just pumping through it. Whereas there's a specialty or there's a, you know, a one-off or some, something we've never tried before, I'll try it in a 20 um, and it might last the two weeks, so it's it's, it's not like you're, you're changing them every every ten minutes. Yep, absolutely. And and it's going to be again one of those things that we can prognosticate all we want. We'll see what the market actually uh, delivers. That's it. The one other thing I wanted to say about mailbag was thank you to regular listener and correspondent uh, and former contributor uh, James Davidson, who had a sober, who found a sober. That's S O B A H. Wasn't beer. that? I thought that was Wade Curtis. Uh, oh, was it Wade? Wade uh, Curtis. I've been very keen to try these. Oh, well, okay, relatively sorry. tasty, Ooh. they really seem to be closer to soft drink than beer. So sorry. this was the soba, which is the uh, indigenous ingredients, uh, indigenous owned brewery label. It was Wade Curtis. 
Yeah, a non-alcoholic Sorry. beer. Yep. The I, I, he says the IPA was the closest to beer. I don't think I could have more than one or two in a sitting. Anyway, there you go. Love the idea, but yet to taste a non-alcoholic beer that gets close to beer flavour. The one Which thing think, I'll yeah. say is Wade needs to wash his glasses better. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's not the worst one I've seen. No, I know. I know. But that's always the, uh, the, the snark that, when people that, post. That, yeah, that could be the lemon myrtle or it could be the bush it could, pepper or it, something. It, you know, it, it, it could be. Yeah. But I did ask Wade to post the um, nutrition information because that's what I'm most interested in, in, in the thing that comes here. down to me. Yep. So 314 kilojoules um, per, I'm presuming it's three... It says per serve. 330 mil, yeah. So it's um, 314 kilojoules per serving size of 330 mils. Now, just out of interest, Coke is around about 500 kilojoules or you know, a, a soft drink. So you're still getting three fifths of the um, kilojoules. Um, and and what, can, how, does, how does that compare to a beer? Uh, beers around about. Oh, let me see. So VB at uh, okay. So a 375 mil can, um, which is uh, you know a little, a little bit 10 percent bigger, is around about 630 kilojoules. Um, so so there is a saving. Taking the alcohol out, there is you know you're getting about fifty percent of the kilojoules, but again, as we saw with the um, kombucha, um, it had about four kilojoules, um, and and so it's still for me it still comes back to part of you know I I, I am quite happy to drink coffee um, because I drink it for the caffeine as well as the flavour. Um, decaffeinated coffee um, just doesn't have any attraction for me um and it's a little bit the same with this i'd rather drink water um and even save myself that lower kilojoule rating personally but that again that, that that's just that's just me uh, and just uh, apropos our conversation about uh package date and that sort of thing uh wade said that it had 12 months best before date that's because it it's well. pasteurized because yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 yeah it's it's pasteurized now um because it's uh being made down at tribe so that's the, it. That, that's got a longer shelf life now. All right, there we go. Hey, that uh, I don't know how our timing's looking, but uh, hopefully that's got you through your walk, through your run, through your commute, through through mashing in. We're getting good at it, aren't we? Accidentally. <laughs> like without, well, sorry, not well, you know without without really sort of trying. And, and we, we, we actually we should say, even though this is episode two hundred and twenty six um, for Brews News Week, the reality is that we've been making beer as a conversation for. Uh, now 70 as a standalone for about 75 weeks so we're probably actually up somewhere around about the 300 to 350 episodes there we go it'll be pretty boring if you had to sit and listen to it all like chris the beer healer had <laughs> and to do. good on him for, for the research that he did prof exactly so yeah look uh, uh, give chris a bit of love go and uh, and have a listen because there's a few too i really loved his one and i meant to, uh, to say but i uh, couldn't get a word in um the 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 beer and s uh, he spoke to um, on, I think, maybe one or two before us, which was a really interesting conversation as well. So just, you know, he, the way he chats with beer people, um, and I think we were the the exception to the rule. I think normally they're about a 30, 35-minute. He just kind of let the let the, <laughs> let the clock run on us, maybe because there were two of us. So maybe maybe that was why it not dragged, but why it was a little bit longer in um, – duration than than his regular stuff uh but our listeners uh get over there and, and have a listen not just the, the one with us absolutely yeah and podcast like that's that's the great thing about podcasts you know it's uh you've got a lot of uh time to fill and uh they're a great way to listen and keep in touch with the beer industry and uh yeah so yeah. Go, not only go over and rate us but go and rate uh chris's podcast as he said you know he doesn't make anything out of it um i mean i guess we're semi-pro um, but he is amateur. Um, like he doesn't make anything out of it, and uh, you can certainly help other people find it by uh, going over and rating his site. Yeah, and, and all done outside of you know a regular nine to five non beer related business job, then uh, looking after you know the kids, bringing up the family, being part you know the husband and wife, the husband and uh, you know father sort of thing, and home brewing. He then manages somehow to find time to to then record uh, podcasts. So good on him. Thank you, Prof. Thank you for a, another great week. 
Yeah, and thank you to all our sponsors, to uh, Crime Alt, to Rallings Labels and Stickers, to Beer Cartel, and now to Unleashed Software for supporting what we do. But as I say every week, most of all, I reserve the greatest thanks for you guys for listening. Uh, putting ears on this thing uh, just makes the putting mouths to it all the more worthwhile. So thank you very much for your support. Drink fresh, drink better, get out there, drink with friends. In dry July, um, raise a glass, raise some money, and um, enjoy doing whatever it is that you're doing until next we see it. Should you really be encouraging people to raise a glass a glass of water as well during dry July? Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't specify what was in it. That's very true. Very true. <laughs> it pretty much goes without saying, though, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much again, Matt. Thank you, Prof. And we'll see you all again next week. And we're out. And we would like to thank our sponsors, including Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, for making this show possible. Even if you have an established label supplier, have a chat with Rallings Labels Stickers and Packaging and see how their flexibility can make things easier for your brewery. Call Rallings on 1300 852 235. If you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out by sponsoring the show, either a one-off or monthly donation, just to cover the costs of us producing it. You can review us on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service and help other people to find the show. Or you can email us at producer at brewsnews.com.au to share your thoughts. All correspondents will receive a Brews News bottle opener and go into the draw to win a mixed six-pack. Thanks to our good friends at Beer Cartel, who sponsor our Letter of the Week. Thank you.